may be seated. Palmer, if you will come. And again, thank you, uh, Palmer. Thank you, Joanna, for willing to spend this time with us. We're very blessed uh, and we're thankful, we're grateful. And so do bring us God's word this one last time. The scripture for this evening is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. The passage for the message is from the last few verses, 16 through 20, but we're going to read the whole of the chapter to get the background. Matthew chapter 28, beginning to read at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people... His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I, even I, am with you all the days, even to the consummation of the age. May God bless through our hearts this reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Go! Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are timid. We are hesitant. We are not sure what our path and course in life should be. But we hear your simple word. Go. Make us able to go. Help us to claim your promise to be with us. And let us do all your holy will that the gospel may run and not be hindered to the ends of the earth. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I like Savannah. We were strolling up and down the streets and all that beautiful moss hanging off those massive trees, the, the just evergreens, just a beautiful thing. Whoever planned this city did a beautiful job. And the temperature is rather nice. It was 47 in Winston-Salem when it was something like 72 yesterday here, and that's, that's rather nice. You like Savannah? Hmm? I think most of you like Savannah. Well, you would be glad to know that if you were in the Old Testament, then the word of God to all the people would be, Come, come to the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah and hear the gospel. But that's, that, is old, that is New Testament as well, but that's mainly Old Testament. That's centripetal. That's come this way. But now the word is centrifugal. It's go out of here. And the message is from our Lord Jesus Christ himself, go. Now, you might be putting on the brakes right away, and maybe the person in the pew in front of you can feel your feet pushing against that to say, wait a minute, I'm not going anywhere. I like it right here. Well, there are different ways to go, and we shall see that. You can go by prayer for others as they go. You can go by proxy, by supporting others as they go. But then on behalf of some of you, you are to go. You may be male or female. You may be young or old. But the Lord may tap you on the shoulder and say, okay, it's you. I want you to go. But why? Why should we go? Three reasons from this passage of Scripture. Go, first of all, because Christ commands you to go. He did not give an invitation. There are plenty of invitations. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, all you who are thirsty, 
to the, to the fountain of life, and I will refresh you. But there are also some commands, and this is Jesus' command. He says, go. He doesn't say, would you like to go? It's not an invitation. This is a command. He says, go. He's the incarnate Son of God. He's the one who died on the cross for you. He's the one who saved you from hell, as we heard about this morning. He was the one who was raised from the dead as the first fruits of God's restoration of all things. And there was no reason for him to have to say this to his disciples. All authority has been given unto me. He didn't have to say that. It should have been obvious that if he was the Son of God resurrected from the dead, he would have been worshipped in heaven and have all authority in heaven. And certainly on this little tiny little globe here, he would have all authority as well. But he says it so it can be very plain to you and to all those who would be his disciples from that point on. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Go. And you are to go into all the world. And he are to make disciples of all the nations. But who? Who is to go? Now, we've got a pretty good group here tonight. I'd say maybe a couple of 300 people. Well, Jesus had 11 in his presence when he gave this command. He says to 11 men. And you notice that they're not really that strong. They do bow down and worship him, which they certainly should have done at that particular point. But they, it says, they worshiped him, but, and can you believe this? Of the 11, some doubted. He didn't, it doesn't say one doubted, doesn't say two doubted, said some doubted. Even though Jesus, the resurrected one, is standing there in their presence, they doubted. They were not strong, they were weak. Can you identify with that at all? Do you have any sense of doubts about yourself? and about the Lord, and even about Christianity and its truth? Well, you may, but at the same time, you have the affirmation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the affirmation of his people all around you, the affirmation of the Holy Spirit working within you and confirming the truth of God to you. You have all those things, and you can be assured of this fact, that as you pass through life, as you're seeking to do his will, as you take a, a, not quite a giant step, but a half giant step in faith, God is always going to be there. Jesus is always going to be there supporting you. Even if you have a certain amount of doubts as you go, you go. And he will be with you. Go because Christ commands you. And ABC, African Bible College of Malawi, we like to stress to our students that they should be missionaries. They have been receiving missionaries. 
They should be missionaries. Now, around the little country of Malawi was a much larger country of Mozambique. Mozambique had been closed to the evangelical gospel for 500 years. The Portuguese Roman Catholics would not allow anyone, and they were in control of the government, they would not allow anyone to come into Mozambique and to preach the gospel. We visited a site where a church had been built out into the bush somewhere with some nice bricks. The government had come along, torn down the church, taken the bricks, and built an office building for the government out of the very same bricks that were the bricks of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How would you like that? To have the government come and tear down this building and build a government structure out of it. That was the attitude of the government for 500 years in Mozambique. Then there was this massive struggle among the, the communists against the government in Mozambique. And the communists finally prevailed. And they then had an election. And they elected one of these communist generals to be their first president. And this communist general said, our doors are open for evangelical Christians. Our doors are open for missionaries to come into Mozambique. Well, we began to take some students on weekends across the border into Mozambique. We would cook a couple of chickens. Of course, I remember one time when a, our, our favorite friendly little dog jumped on the right before we were leaving and got one of those whole chickens and went running off with it. But we did what we could to take some food with us off and we would drive maybe five hours, cross the border, set up and begin to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the students would come back and say, wow, they speak our same language. They speak Chichewa just like we do but they have never even heard the name Jesus before. We've got to evangelize them, and they would get all excited about that because those borders between Malawi and Mozambique were purely arbitrary, dividing right among, right between tribal groups in that particular area. So on one occasion, I was driving along with one of our students who was about to graduate, and I said, Bentry, what are you going to do after you graduate? And he told me later, he, he really had, hadn't made up his mind, but he said, I'm going to be a missionary. Oh, that sounds really great, Benji, Bentry. And he really did intend to become a missionary. So he and I went to his session, a church not quite this size, but a good-sized church of maybe six, seven hundred people. And... We met with a session, and one of the session members says, for 100 years we have received missionaries. It's time for us to send one. And so they did. They sent Bentry Mahango across, and he set up a preaching point in one place. At another place, there was five hours away on a bicycle. He would bicycle up early Sunday morning and preach up at that place and then come back and preach again. We visited uh, maybe 10 years later, 
because they were going to have a special celebration of the turning over of the keys by a presbytery that had been formed to this particular congregation. And we came, and there was a church building that would seat a thousand people. And there were a thousand people and multiple, not just one choir, multiple choirs there to celebrate the turning over of the keys to that local congregation that had been established by one missionary. Now, that is great that Bentry Mahango had gone, but if some missionaries had not gone, not just us, but other missionaries to establish African Bible colleges, there would have been no Bentry Mahango, the missionary to Mozambique. So what about you? Christ commands it. And if you can't go, three ways that you can go. You can pray for missionaries, and that means you, you can, we'll never know what prayer has done. By the mysterious ways of God, prayer does affect the advancement of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, we have seen how prayers have opened the doors for the spread of the gospel. And you praying back here. I, <laughs> when I was a young boy, just a brand new Christian, there was an old man named Mr. Kennington, and he had had a heart attack when he was in his 50s. And he did nothing but walk and pray, and walk and pray, and walk and pray. I'm still running on the prayers of Mr. Kennington. I'm sure of that because I know that he was praying many times for me. So go, first of all, because Christ commands it. He is your Lord. He paid a price for you. You are his slave. You have been bought by him. You are not your own. You understand that? You are not your own. You have been bought by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the one then in love, and he says, go. Now, secondly, go because of the need of the nations. Go because of the need of the nations. What is it that the nations need? Well, Almost 10%, according to Mr. Google, almost 10% of the world's population is underfed in 2021, and, the, and that percentage has gone up quite a bit at, due to COVID-19 during 2022. 10% of the world's population, children that go to bed without, with hungry stomachs, without enough to eat, undernourished children, they need food. They need help. And obviously, we know, as we see what is happening today, they need peace. Or we could look at something on a higher level, and this is what the modern world would tell us. They need computers. That's what they need. They need television. They need automobiles. They need cell phones, smartphones. That's what the world needs. In fact, the United Nations has determined that it is the right of every human being to have access to the Internet. 
In other words, if the whole world, if anybody does not have access to the, to the Internet, then we have denied them their right as a human being. That is what they need. Is that what they need, really? Is that really what the world needs? It can obviously be a help, but can it also be a terrible hindrance? Well, Jesus lists three things in this passage of Scripture that the world of the nations of the world need. Verse 19, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything that I have taught you. Be discipled, be baptized, and be taught. We must not forget the other needs. As we have the capacity, we want to help with whatever other needs that we can. But let's remember that the greatest need that the world has is for being discipled for Jesus Christ, being baptized, crossing that line into a public profession of faith of Christ, a public commitment to him, being washed in the blood of Jesus by baptism, and being taught everything that Jesus has taught. It's one thing to evangelize. It's another thing to disciple. We had a dentist friend down in South Louisiana who loved to go on mission trips. In fact, he had been on something like 200 mission trips. Every opportunity he had, he went on a mission trip, this dentist in southern Louisiana. And then one day he says, I was reading Matthew chapter 28, and he said, who put these words in the Bible? I've never seen these words before. Make disciples? I've never read that before. I thought you were just supposed to evangelize, preach to them. But make disciples? This was something totally other than what he had conceived. Yes, obviously, we are supposed to evangelize. We should go and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the world. Obviously, preaching and evangelism is very important. You can preach to dozens, hundreds, thousands. Billy Graham, in one lifetime, preached to 10 million people personally himself. On one occasion in Seoul, Korea, he preached to 1 million people in one occasion. Preaching is wonderful, and it is commanded by Christ and should be done. But then there is that nitty-gritty work of, a, of discipling. Look at Jesus. He poured himself into 12 men. If Jesus could handle only 12, be very content if you can handle one or two or three and truly disciple them. Bring them into an understanding of what it means to live for Jesus Christ in their occupation, whatever it might be. Disciple them. Disciple a businessman so he understands what it means to be a man of integrity in his business. In Uganda, one of the heads of government or of the church came to us and he said, 
th this is not a democracy. Uganda is a, not a democracy. It's a kleptocracy. What is a kleptocracy? It's a government, it's a country of thieves. Everyone is a thief. And that was his perspective. One of the heads of the board, on our board there, he had started just a little business. He was the, the, the chief administrative officer of, of the budget in Uganda for a number of years. And he started a little lumber business and he couldn't keep his business going because he couldn't find anyone honest enough to operate his business. So to disciple, to lead people, to give their whole in an understanding way to be a follower of Jesus is what Jesus is asking us to, to do. In addition to discipling, he says, baptize. Baptize. Here's the visible distinction that needs to be made between the saved and the lost. This young Muslim woman was converted to Christ and she was looking forward to being baptized. It would mean that she would be ostracized from her family. She could possibly be put on the death threat. But for some reason or other, the church had to delay for one week her baptism. This young woman was in tears. She was crying because she could not be baptized at the time that she had expected. She understood what it meant to be baptized. It meant to be brought into the unity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to have an identity before the world that could not be misunderstood. And that's what Christ has commanded, that we are to go and to baptize. Now, not all of us are, have that authority and that responsibility. It is those who have been ordained to the Christian gospel that are to do the baptism, to see that it is done in an orderly fashion and in a proper way. But you are the ones that can send, you can support, you can commission those who are going and doing the baptism. This baptism must be done in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is a critical way to read that particular passage. It is in the name, and this is where the great B.B. Warfield, the theologian, has pointed out the perfections of the teaching about the Trinity right here in this great commission. In the name of, that is one name, and name in the Bible means so much, in the essence of God, there's only one God, but he, it is in the name of the Father and the name of the Son, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. You can see the difference in the Muslim faith. They have one God, but they do not have the Trinity. And their one God then becomes a dictator. He becomes a tyrant so that the law, the Torah, is applied in such a way that it dominates the lives of people. It gives them no freedom, 
And that's the effect of having a monogamy, or one God, a monogamous God, rather than having three, one in three. And on the other hand, if you have a polygamous situation, if you have many gods, a polygamy, if, or <laughs> not polygamy, but if you have many gods, then God is always changing. You never know how to please God because he's not unified in his communications. So only in the Trinity, where you have one God in three persons, can you really understand the reality of God. You are to go and to baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So make disciples, baptize, and finally, people need to be taught. They need to be taught everything that Christ has commanded them. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 6 says, Jesus saw that the people were as sheep without a shepherd. He saw their need as sheep wandering without any direction in their lives. He saw them as sheep lost on the hillside. And what did he do in response to that? Mark says, so he began to teach them many things. He saw them as sheep wandering without purpose in life, without direction, not knowing what was going on in life. And so he began to teach them many things. On one occasion, we were invited to a village to teach in one of the village churches. And I got my projector all set up to sit, put my, my projections up on the screen. And of course, when I got there, there was no electricity. And there was only a, a church only this high with a roof and open all along the sides. But there were as many people outside as there were inside the little building that was structured there. So I taught them five hours one day, four hours the next day, and they said, next time you're going to have to come four days, not two days. This was, we, we have had all sorts of people come and preach to us, but this is the first time we've ever had anyone to come and teach. The scriptures, the New Testament in particular, makes a very clear distinction between preaching and teaching. Both are needed for God's people. Do you have the gift of teaching? My beloved wife, Joanna, says when she was in university, the last thing that she ever wanted to do was to teach. The last thing she wanted to do. And Finally, she ended up as a teacher, and she was given this class of six-foot boys and 15, 16, 17, without any interest in learning whatsoever. And she's five foot, and she's scared to death. She says, but the minute I picked up a piece of chalk, it was like magic. When you have the gift of teaching, you've got to teach. 
And you may not be ordained as a gospel preacher, but you may have the gift of teaching at African Bible College, and that's only what I know at this point, there's need for teachers in education, teachers in education and communication. Right now, there's need for teachers in history. There are constantly needs for people to teach in business, communications, whatever it is. See, maybe God would have you go and teach. And always remember, you can never outgive God. You will never make a sacrifice bigger than God will give back to you in terms of blessings. Don't take my word for it. I can give you my testimony, but I can assure you from my experience, you can never outgive God. You will never make a sacrifice that will not be triply blessed, a hundredfold in this life, plus the life to come. Go because Christ commands. Go because of the need of the nations. And finally, go because of the promise of his presence. Because of the promise of his presence. Do you really believe in spiritual realities? Do you really believe that you are a spirit as well as a body? You know, you, you may not think about that very much. But you're not just a body, not just flesh. You have an eternal soul. And that eternal soul has the capacity of constant interaction with God the Spirit. And God, the Spirit, is sent by Jesus. And Jesus is one with the Spirit. And he has promised, go into all the nations and make disciples, and I am with you. Jesus, in his Spirit, will be always with your spirit. He will always be communicating with your spirit in ways that you, you, you can't be, it's not irrational, don't get the wrong idea, but it is something that is somewhat incomprehensible, certainly something that is not tangible. It's not of the body, although it has massive impacts on the body. When your spirit, when you feel good in your spirit, doesn't your, doesn't your body respond positively when your spirit feels good? And if Jesus is in there communicating with your spirit, <laughs> I know this can be misunderstood with all the, the movies that go around, but you become a superman. You don't have a long arm that can stretch all the way to the end of this room, but you are a super person. You are a supernatural person. And you can do things that cannot be measured by human measurements. 
because the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters at the time of creation and brought life out of, the, out of that early creation of God is living in you. Jesus says, I. And the original text says, I, even I. He repeats himself, I, even I, am with you even until the consummation of the age. So, what's the big deal? Go. <laughs> Go. Yes, this is a wonderful place to live. I like Savannah very much. I have loved Mississippi. I've loved Pennsylvania, loved Virginia, wherever I've lived. But when the Lord says, go, you go. And he promises, I am with you. Every one of you, hear this word. Go by praying for others that are going. Go by proxy, by supporting others that they might go. Go yourself. Let us pray. How good you are to us, Lord Jesus Christ. When we are weak, then we are strong. In our frailty of human flesh, your spirit revives us every day. We praise you as God our creator, God our redeemer, God our sustainer. Thank you for the blessings of this church. Thank you that it is a sending church. Bless each individual in this church as they ask you, Lord, where would you have me to go? How would you have me to go? When would you have me to go? Where would you have me to go? I am your servant. I am bought with a price. I am not my own. Here am I. Send me. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, turn to number 439 in your hymnal. As you're turning, I have several comments to make. Uh, one is uh, Wilbur Smith was a very um, effective, outstanding, well-known Bible teacher in the middle of the 20th century. He was at Fuller Seminary, and one of the reasons why my father and one of his best friends went to study there was because of Wilbur Smith. He used to say regularly, he'd come to a very familiar verse, and he would say, well, I've never seen that in there before. So it does happen. You just see things that you'd never seen before as you're reading through the Bible. Next comment is, you mentioned Mr. Kenny, who prayed, been praying for you, or prayed for you for many, many years. The Gilcomston South Church of Aberdeen, Scotland, Mr. Stills Church, has been praying for me every Saturday night since 1979. Forty-three years they have been sustaining me and my ministry, um, first in Miami, 
and then here uh, in Savannah. Uh, third thing, uh, third comment is when Calvin first went to Geneva, uh, he intended to leave, uh, preferring the more retiring uh, life of the scholar, uh, quiet life, calm life uh, of the scholar. And William Farrell famously pronounced the curse of God upon his studies if he didn't stay. And Calvin was so terrified that he agreed to stay and to be a pastor as well as a scholar. Um, and that, uh, that parallels, um, not exactly, but in a similar way, uh, Palmer, at the age of 55, had an international reputation as a scholar um, and would have been perfectly justified in every respect as a Christian, as a disciple of Christ, to um, continue the life of a scholar, uh, stay on the faculty of the seminaries, and to continue his studies and write his books and all of that. And instead, at 55, pulls up his roots and heads over uh, to Africa to teach at the African Bible College. And then that evolved into the, uh, the principal president's, uh, presidency of uh, African Bible in Uganda, 24 four years in Africa. And the point is, from his first message, it's not too late. It's not too late. There's a place to serve for those who are willing to go. And if he could do it at the age of 55, sounds younger to me all the time, by the way, but if, if he can do that at the age of 55, in, in effect, start all over with a new work, a new career, you want to use that word, pull up your roots and, and cross uh, the oceans and go to the continent of Africa, a very different place. I guarantee you get off the plane. You are not, we're not you're not in Kansas anymore. You, you are in a foreign place without the affluence and orderliness of, of North America. But uh, nevertheless, we go. Let's sing together. This is uh, yet another paraphrase of Psalm 72. If you'll recall, we sing Psalm 72 at Christmas time every year. And we sang it this morning in Isaac Watts's paraphrase, Jesus Shall Reign. Uh, this is from the, uh, the uh, 1912 Psalter, Christ Shall Have Dominion. Let's stand together as we sing.